This is Bragg, the son of Balan, and you're listening to Light the Beacons, a Lotro podcast. Welcome to the world of Middle-earth. Beacons are lit! Lotro calls for aid. And Brog shall answer. It's Amon Joy. Somewhere in the foothills of Farinorian, undespair is rekindled. Welcome back to Light the Beacons, the only Lotro podcast that dares to say, my goodness, what a shiny carapace you have there, Gamera. This is episode number 87, so be home by 11. And I'm your host, Bragg of the Lonely Mountain, the Salt of Shield Swipe, the Earl of Agro. Web Shredder and Dwarf of Ill Repute. I am broadcasting live from temporary LTB MEWHQ, far from Fairthillion in the Farmer's Fair. Let's uh, take a look around and see what's going on. Well, as I uh, logged into my main character, Bragg, for the first time in actually some time, I received an invitation to the Farmer's Fair. And when I arrived, it was a beehive of activity. Uh, as a matter of fact, someone was playing Every Breath You Take by the police on top of one of the local farms. People dancing and so long, so forth. Let me see. I'm going to whip over to Sanson's farm. And I thought maybe I could start out this episode with a live... Ooh, someone just scooped up a very colorful and beautiful looking egg. I thought perhaps that I could start this episode with a chicken run. A live chicken run. And we could do play-by-play -play of the action that's out there on the uh, Sanson's farm. Let me see. Right now, there's a game ongoing. It looks like there's one, two, only three players out on the farm. And uh, maybe three waiting for the next game. Three or four runners in the farm is a good odds. Uh, I like my chances of being able to finish uh, whatever it is. I think you have to get, like, I can't remember. Is it Eight eggs, ten eggs, I can't remember. It's been a while since I did the Farmer's Fair. I have to say, of all the fairs that are out there, <clears throat> although the Farmer's Fair is, uh, you know, perhaps the most colloquial in nature and the most natural because harvest fairs were a common part of, uh, you know, this type of lifestyle, <clears throat> they are, uh, <clears throat> you know, it was kind of quirky when it first made the rounds, but it's grown on me over time, I'd have to say. As most people will note, getting uh, fair tokens in the Farmer's Fair is uh, a lot easier than some of the other fairs year-round. So you can certainly um, build up some tokens and trade them in for other fairs that you don't like participating in as much. And uh, I have to say that doing the, uh, the egg hunt at Sansa's Farm and doing the mushroom hunt and Bamfurlong are both you know, reasonably fun activities that I uh, don't mind doing. And uh, actually, I don't have a lot of uh, deeds open for the Farmer's Fair, but the one I have not completed at this point is finding all the colored eggs at Sanson's Farm. There's still a couple stragglers in each of like three different deeds that are out there. It looks like the action is winding down, and there it is. Festival organizer Weimark Grub is now offering his quest for a new game to begin. 
again, if you can finish the egg hunt and complete it, uh, 10 tokens just for finishing, and then it's not counting that of all the eggs that you pass. So I am taking my customary position, uh, flanking Georgie and Bellina on the uh, side of the, uh, whatchamacallit here. Let me see, it's Georgie that is still offering me the quest for free range, which I am not going to take advantage of at this point in time. I see one other person out on the course. I am scrolling back my camera as far as it can go. Uh, Kathleen, Kath, Kathleen Silverbrook, Swift Arrow, is joining me on the course for Corsa Rim. I see one or two people running up. We'll see if they're in time to make it into the egg hunt so they don't have to wait for the next go-round. Here's another person joining the field. Another one running up, seeing if he can grab the quest before it begins. Oh, oh it's begun. I don't know if he got in it or not. Looks like we've got maybe three runners right now. And at the beginning of the egg hunt, as per usual, there aren't many eggs being dropped. They're a little scant to start out with. I'm scanning the field. I don't see any options. Oh, there's one on the opposite side. Far away from me. Not going to get anything near that one. Let me see. Chickens being rather shy. Unlaying at this point in time. I'm trying to give the other participants room to stay on my corner, thinking that eventually they'll come over and lay something for me. Nothing. Nothing on this half of the field so far. And we are off to a bad start. I need five white eggs, and I need them fast. Here's one. And I'm going to get beaten to that one, so I'm going to run all the way across to the other side, see if I can catch a lucky break. This is embarrassing. I've got zero going. No eggs. I could lay an egg on this one, potentially. Oh, there's one on the field. Uh, uh, oh, there's a stinky egg. I've had two bad lucks in places of drop placement so far. I still have zero eggs in the egg hunt. Uh, the only thing that might be able to save this round is if I get myself a striped egg. And there's one. Yeah, I grabbed a festive egg. I don't know if it's one I need or not, but we'll check it after the match. That was exciting. So my match is saved. I've got at least a festive egg to save. And uh, maybe the others will get their eggs done and leave me lucky here. Uh, there's one. Okay. We've got one white egg. We're still in a bit of trouble here. I'm going to have to do some serious catching up. There's a stinky egg. <sighs> wow. Oh, here's a greenie. And that one's mine. <laughs> yes. Ten seconds remain in the egg scramble. And it's not happening for me. I've got two white eggs now and two festive eggs for the run, though, which ain't... Uh, Ain't too bad. Let's take a look at what we got. You did not collect enough eggs. Try again. That was just poor luck. And I really didn't see a lot of eggs out on the field. Let's see what we have, though. A red and green striped egg and a green egg. I'm going to go ahead and click on the green egg. Apparently, I didn't need that one. I don't know about the red and green striped egg. It looks kind of pretty. We got 10 Farmer's Fair tokens out of that. Very nicely done. Uh, didn't see it trigger anything in a deed, so apparently I might not have not needed that one, but I did get 14 Farmer's Fair tokens out of that run. That is nothing to sneeze at. And uh, I'll go to the Mushroom Race maybe a little bit later. You know, I've got a podcast to do. I can't be, like, running Festival Quest. What do you think this is, a Twitch stream? What's the matter with you people? Should I do the Mushroom Run? 
he's going to make me wait to start. So I'm going to hang out here in Ban for long. And uh, we might as well get on with the podcast. Uh, let's move on to our next beacon. Was that as thrilling for you guys as it was for me? I'm sure. Well, uh, here we are at Elanok, and as usual, we got to deal with a lot of CREP. It's been oh, over three weeks since my last podcast. Naughty, naughty brag. Corrections, retractions, and apologies from last week. Last time out, we offended Cordovan, uh, Holly Hornblower, and Mr. Charlie Daniels, not to mention his band. And to everyone else that was offended, we offer a solemn and very heartfelt sorry. Uh, viewer comments iTunes reviews. Let's take a look at the leaderboard. The last review of the podcast was left by Bounder Noble on May 21st, 2018, and he currently has our high score. As always, if you want to join this infamous cult of reviewers, then what you can do, listen carefully, write your comments in giant graffiti letters on the iron span in Forakel, and they will make their way to mine ears. Uh, viewer feedback, uh, agree to disagree on whether or not their viewers listen the technology is confusing. There are people out there, you know, there's hackers in Russia that may be viewing the podcast. We don't know. Uh, there's no feedback. I think that's one or two or maybe three episodes in a row with no viewer feedback, uh, which makes me think that once again, I'm shouting into the void, harking way back to episode number two. Uh, on the plus side, it means that hopefully no one heard last episode's embarrassing song parody. From Twitter, I saw a funny tweet out there that got twitted. Uh, by a Twitter spherage, um, talking about one of the new maps that had premiered for update 23. Uh, and it came out and uh, it was a new map of Eriador uh, in a style that was more in alignment with some of the more recent region maps that they had come out with over the last few releases. Uh, and it had the uh, ignominious uh, issue of listing Michael Delving on the Shire as one of the points of interest. Michael Delving. Michael, row your boat ashore. So I guess that's an easy uh, mistake to make, unless, of course, you know anything about Tolkien literature. Um, yes, that's embarrassing. But has anyone seen the overview map of Gondor? <laughs> I'm going to pull it up as we speak. There is an overview map of Gondor, uh, which, let me see, to Ravenian, and then I'll go out to, where is it? Where are you, Eriador, Ravanian? Gondor. So there is an, a region map for Gondor, which, uh, you know, is a, a quarter giant bay. And then it's got one title in the middle of it that says Western Gondor, which you can obviously, um, you can zone in on to see Far Norian. And there's out on the Cape, there's Central Gondor, uh, which is not labeled. There's Eastern Gondor, a few miles over it, which is also not labeled. There's Osgiliath, not labeled. Oldenorian, which is not labeled. Uh, let me see. Dead Marshes, not labeled. Uh, the Wastes, not labeled. And then there's a picture of Mount Dome that says Mordor. So basically, the only things on the Gondor map is a label that says Western Gondor and one that says Mordor. And then a bunch of stuff you can drill into, but no other points of interest whatsoever. And it looks really pathetic. So if they can can redo the Eriador map, which I really didn't have a problem with. Maybe they can fix the Gondor map sometime coming up soon. Uh, just a suggestion, SSG. Community Spotlight. The Harnkegger Games is announced. I think it's maybe the ninth annual Harnkegger Games, something along those lines. It's developing a nice little history. If you find it out on the web, 
there is a list of winners from all the previous years, kind of the history of the contests, including a silver medalist in the poetry competition last year from yours truly. I am hoping to compete once again in the poetry contest this year. And I have, in fact, already penned this year's entry, believe it or not, in anticipation. But I'm going to keep it secret for a while longer. I'm just going to give it a teaser. Um, it concerns perhaps one of the most underappreciated figures in Middle Earth that may, may just have had as important a role in defeating Sauron as any other figure in all of Tolkien's works. Is anyone else intrigued about who this individual might be? Nope, me neither. But if you stick around uh, sometime in the coming weeks and or you attest the Poetry Slam in the Harnkeger games, you may be able to find out. And I'm sure at some point I'll post it to the website. Let's go out to the forums. <laughs> Mob noises, pitchfork, crows, uh, fire, torches. Um, well, uh, out on the forums, of course, there are more Cordovan beacons not mentioning my podcast, as per usual. Uh, aside from that, there continues to be contention about SSG loot box fixation and the fact that you can get better gear through accumulating ash from loot boxes as you can from running Tier 2 endgame content. And uh, yes, you can earn keys in the game, which has been the defense that's been made of it previously. But as it happens, you can also buy them in the store. And this supports a scenario for pay-to-winners that may be out there. And listen, guys... Um, I, uh, I'm not a fan either, but this may be the necessary evil we need to live with at this stage of the game's evolution to continue to have the support of Daybreak and SSG to keep the game alive. I am softly against it, but I am heartily for the continuance of Lotro. You know, normally you don't see an 11-year-old game coming out with a revolutionary new revenue strategy that changes the industry. Lotro did it once with uh, one of the more fair free-to-play model transformations in the marketplace, uh, but they don't have that kind of transformative firepower anymore. And uh, I'm as excited as anyone else about the Grey Hills and Weathered Heath, but it does not exactly have the same cachet or name recognition of Mordor. As a matter of fact, no remaining landmass in Middle-earth does. So it may keep people in the game, but it's not going to be a drawing card for new people to join the game that have uh, been, not been here in the past. So again, uh, loot boxes, earnable in-game, very important. Also pay-to-winnable in the store, very unfortunate, but perhaps a necessary evil at this point of the game's evolution. But hey... Let's keep telling SSG what we think, and uh, we may be able to influence uh, how impactful those store purchases can be versus what we can do in-game over time, and try to keep at least some semblance of balance there. Uh, so, in this week's action-packed episode, we are going to talk a little bit about what we've been doing in-game these past few weeks. We're going to discuss my experiences with a little independent video game called Braid. We will get a few of my takes on the new Update 23 release notes, and lastly, if we have any time remaining, we'll go fishing for cave claws. But if we want to have time for that, we better get moving. On to our next beacon. Bavu. Oh, that was a pair beacon. Fix that beacon, Grima. Fix it. Better. That I can live with. Here we are at the third beacon of Nardal. I took a break to go over and look at the mushroom hunt in Benferlong. And, uh... Osbert, 
the quest giver was just surrounded. I think I'm going to pass on this run. Way too many mushroom hunters participating to have any hope of success. We'll, uh, we'll wait till things clear out a little bit. So what's been going on this week in gaming and or other Tokian news? Uh, what have been playing lately? So i not sure since I spoke with you if I mentioned that I did finish the game Amnesia, The Dark Descent. Uh, came out a few years ago, obviously. Older game, which is how I obtain most of my cheap offerings. Um, here's my review. Uh, there were good parts about it, and there were some bad parts about it that I didn't like. Um, I thought the gameplay was interesting uh obviously the atmosphere and the art style were intriguing a little cartoony but uh you know just realistic enough to give them emphasis sound effects and music were probably the highlight of the game for me uh the puzzles were okay um the story was okay uh the gameplay was not my favorite so i'll talk a little bit about why that is in, in the end, I just wanted to get it over with, for the most part, versus really enjoying the gameplay. It, it did some good things. It, it had kind of a hard-to-follow lore accumulated through visions, memories, and journal pages that you find throughout the, you know, the environment. Um, there are a few puzzles that I might never have gotten without playthrough guides just because they were too unintuitive. You know, sometimes if I look up an answer in a guide and I'm like, okay, that makes sense. I probably should have gotten that. And other times I'll look up the answer in the guide and I'll be like, I could have knocked around this place for three days and not figured that out. It's just, it doesn't follow. It's not intuitive. I would have had to randomly come across it. You know, for example, um, there's one part of the game where you have to break through a window uh, to go out on a ledge to escape a room and I actually saw uh, what the heck is going on somebody's surrendering and saluting very good perhaps we'll turn down the volume on the game so uh, what happened was <laughs> that's distracting <laughs> uh, what happened was you had to break a window, go out on a ledge to see a game. And I recognized that that might be a solution to escaping the room. And I actually tried to do it several times. And I was like, oh, that didn't work. That must not be the answer. And then I wandered around for several, uh, you know, a lot more minutes wasting time trying to figure out if there was another solution. Then I checked the guide. And when I checked the guide, I found out that breaking the window was the right solution. It's just, um, you know, maybe I was like a micrometer off from the place I needed to throw the chair at in order to break it. And, uh, you know, I thought I reasonably had the response. And that that's a gameplay fault that I wasn't able to find the solution, even though I had kind of figured out what I was supposed to do. So there were a couple examples like that in the game. But generally speaking, it was pretty good. Um, I would say my tolerance with an unfair gameplay mechanic like that is lessened when I'm being hunted by a scammy, scary demon monster thing, which discourages exploration or wandering around. Like, I don't mind wandering around an environment figuring out a puzzle, but if I'm being hunted the whole time, then it makes it less fun to try to figure out the puzzle if I'm constantly running from a scary demon monster thing that's going to devour my face. So I found the combination of those two things a little off-putting in some areas. Other times they would leave you to do the puzzles without interference, and I enjoyed that part of the story more. So it was an interesting change of pace, but not sure if or when I will be returning to the survival genre. Uh, but for the amount I paid for the game, it was a nice change of pace, like I mentioned.
I'm also still playing the puzzle game Love, Hate, and the Other Ones, which uh, I have enjoyed for how much I spent for it. Found it interesting puzzles. I am finding now that I'm in the top tier and within sight of the end of the game. Uh, I'm making very slow progress on the last few puzzles. They are becoming devilishly complicated near the end. Uh, so the easy mechanics and the simple mechanics, you know, I've, I found to be a good balance and the, the puzzles got progressively harder. They are now getting to the point where maybe, you know, I might only solve one every 20 minutes or so. And the last time I think I quit on one and said I'll come back to it because I didn't, I couldn't figure out how to do it. So uh, I will keep after that game. Uh, I think I know it well enough that I'll, I'll get through it at some point in time. But uh, it is getting more challenging as you approach the end game. Uh, I want to give a Dungeons and Dragons update. I've been continuing to play the Minds of Fendelver with uh, the latest version of D and D, with uh, the young baby dwarfs in the house. Uh, we make good progress. We've uh, explored Cragmaw Cave. We've explored the town of Fandolin and got a bunch of different quests for the region. We have taken the Red Brands to task and uh, mostly gotten through the underneath of Tresendor Manor. Um, the Baby Dwarves have had some close calls, uh, and uh, I may, I may have continued to minimize some of the damage or risk with maybe as the dungeon master not calling some critical hits from monsters when I should have or applying certain damage modifiers which may have killed off the party and dampened the spirit of the game. Uh, but that's my prerogative. I, I also in some cases have put rolls out in the open for them to see and, and let the dice fall where they may. Uh, so far no deaths in the game. Some very close calls though in a few circumstances and we have had a lot of fun. Uh, unfortunately the eldest is off back to college now, and we are going to be experimenting with trying to have Dungeons and Dragon nights with one of the participants uh, dialing in remotely through FaceTime or other means. And we'll see how that goes. Uh, I'm interested in trying it. I think it's a fun way to keep in touch uh, with uh, the one that is remote. And uh, hopefully it will um, not overly slow gameplay. I'm interested if any of you out there have played Dungeons and Dragons with one or more people participating remotely. I think there are some tools that are supposed to help with that, you know, beyond just like doing a FaceTime video call uh, where you can have like communal maps that are being drawn that everyone can see on screens and things like that nature. So if you have any tips or any apps or fun things that you used um, while playing Dungeons & Dragons, give me a shout and let me know. I'd love to hear about them. Uh, the app that I found this uh, past couple weeks that we've been enjoying is uh, a free app called Sirenscape, which provides uh, background sound effects for the game. Uh, you can put on like, you know, buzzing tavern noise or uh, under, you know, cave battle or victory or, you know, certain spell sounds going off or, you know, spooky woods, things of that nature. And we've been playing those in the background as we played. And actually doing more of something I, I didn't do when I was younger, which is uh, I had a couple trays of miniatures, and we've been using miniatures to map out uh, battle logistics, and that's been a nice uh, nice touch, actually. I've enjoyed that. It's helped uh, envision the battles and bring them to life in terms of who has line of sight on who and what's reasonable in terms of attacks and so forth. It's, it's actually helpful in speeding gameplay and also provides a visual... Um, you know, knocking the pieces over when people get killed and so forth. So enjoying that piece of it as well. Um, that's it for Dungeons & Dragons. In movies and TV, the last movie I saw was Crazy Rich Asians. I was dragged there by my significant other, as one can imagine. But I did enjoy it. It was a good rom-com if you enjoy that genre. And uh, the other movie I saw was The Spy Who Dumped Me with Mila Kunis and... 
and uh, Kate McKinnon of Saturday Night Live fame. And I am a Kate McKinnon fan, uh, but I still think she is a huge talent in search of the right vehicle uh, to make her shine. She's had some good parts in movies like the Ghostbusters movies where I thought she was funny. Couple other small parts like in uh, Office, Christmas Party, and a few other things where I thought she was good. Um, she was good in The Spy Who Dumped Me, but yet to find the one that's really clicked for her and showed off her talents to best effect. Because I, I think she's hugely funny, and uh, you know just needs the right vehicle to show it. So The Spy Who Dumped Me was a movie that was fun in parts and uh, poorly done in others, and uh, middling overall. But the two stars are likable, and it's. It's worth a, a rental or a, a stream at home. I notice in movies that the summer blockbusters are slowing down and Oscar season awaits, but relatively fewer titles that are coming into the end of the year that I'm as excited about as some of the ones I saw over the course of the summer. So let's talk about, uh, since we're a Lotro podcast, maybe we should talk about what we've been doing in Lotro. Um, Bragg has been not playing as much of late as I've been polishing off other alts. Uh, but he did some Thrang runs, obviously, while the Summer Festival was on, ongoing. And uh, I would say, you know, he's pretty solid right now. He's got about, uh, I've done some Northern Kingdom Essence upgrades for coins, uh, tokens of the river coins. And my morale's peaked above 150k now unbuffed, which is, you know, pretty good as guard tank goes. I've seen guys upwards closer to 200k. I've seen guys down in 100 or 125k. I feel pretty good at 150k. There's not much content I wouldn't be confident doing at that level, um, you know, given my other strengths. So, so that's in good shape. Um, I've done some Thrang groups. You know, even in a terrible group, you know, you get Thrang groups that are good and you get Thrang groups that are just a chaotic mess. Uh, even in a terrible group, I was still hard to kill. <laughs> uh, when everyone else had died, I had to sacrifice myself so we could reset, <laughs> even though I was still alive. Um, I did want to point out that it, it does feel like that since the summer festival ended, the absence of Thrang uh, points out a bit of an instance vacuum in the game. Um, people are running uh, Cordicero Ghost, of course, to continue to generate lots of scrolls and crystals in anticipation of the legacy levels for weapons going up for update 23 uh, but beyond that um, you know the only other thing I've seen being run frequently is the featured instance you know there are some other calls for lower level content here or there but nothing consistently at the top level and when Thrang was here that was run on a regular basis it was a good challenging instance and had good rewards so I wish they would just find a way to have more endgame content that had good risk reward balance you know no one's running nair band because it's a pain in the ass and it's broken and uh the rewards aren't that good anyway and people aren't running abyss of mordath because tier twos has decent rewards but it's too difficult for most groups unless you're in a rating kin and tier one the rewards aren't good enough to warrant all the pain of running it in tier one so that's not run that much either you know they need to find balance of uh instances like thrang that are easy to group for they are puggable. You got to pay attention. You got to have a good group, but they are definitely puggable, and they have good rewards that are worth winning. Um, so without Thrang, I think it kind of exposes the fact that they have, they need to spread out uh, the rewards across all um, scaled instances so that they're worth doing, um, and that we don't get stuck in a rut of only doing the featured instance. So now we have the Farmer's Fair now for the next two to three weeks. I have not done anything with it yet apart from the egg run that you just witnessed. 
I think there's a new kid goat or something. Obviously, I've got to get the steed uh, for it, and I'll be working on that some point soon. So my mini has been grinding away at the 100 dailies needed to complete Restoring the Kingdom Meta Quest Deed, which gives 60 coins plus some other stuff. I think she's in the 60s or 70s somewhere, and I have a goal of trying to finish that off and finish that deed for my mini before Update 23 comes out. It'll probably be pretty close, because I think Update 23 might be out by mid-September, if I had my guess right now. Minnie's been doing some Northern Kingdom Essence upgrades for coins as well, and my Cappy has been doing a few of those as well. Most of my time of late I've been spending on my Loremaster. He's the fifth tune uh, making his way through the Northern Kingdom's quest arc uh, to open up the Rust and Rhyme quest line as well. He is now done with all the storylines and opened up the repeatables, uh, so the fifth tune I have to do that. And he started the Lay of Rust and Rhyme. I just got a new pair of pants today, which is the first major reward that you get that from that quest line after the first few books. Um, and actually, believe it or not, I did the Secret Stone quest for a second time on the LM. I basically did it for rep and coins since I, you know, I've finished most of the quests around the Dale Lands, and I'm still ally with dwarves, men, and elves, and. Uh, you know, the alternative was grinding more dailies to get to Kindred or Tasks. So I said, well, let me do this. Um, let me do the, the Secret Stone quest uh, because I think it has at least three three or four payoff points that have tokens as well as Dwarf Rep, which I needed. And it's at least it's a change of pace. And now I have my, um, my Dwarf Goat of uh, blah, blah, blah. I forget what he's called. King's Guard or whatever, the blue festooned goat uh, on my LM. He's the second tune I have it on, apart from Bragg. Um, running the Secret Stone quest also included running Scumfill, which I found out that I had not done on my LM, so I had to clear the left side to get one of the pieces for the quest line for the Secret Stone. So I went ahead and cleared the right side too so I could finish off the key for the Stinking Ward. And since I did that, I ran in and killed Huendrin and... I probably ended up finishing off like four or five deeds, uh, just running Scumfill, you know, the initial Slayer deeds on two sides, uh, finishing the Hive deeds and getting the key together and all that stuff. So that was fun uh, doing that solo. Um, so I need to get my LM to Kindred and some of the factions to use his coins. You know, he could use them now, but they'd be minor upgrades to some of his equipment as opposed to the teals I can get if I get to Kindred. So looking forward to spending those soon, and I should have some overflow that I can filter down to my Berg. Actually did a few big battles with my Lore Master over the last two weeks. Um, I heard, heard some calls go out for some runs that I didn't have a lot of Mel's in, and my promo points for my LM are now at 185, so hopefully maybe one or two more big battle runs if I'm lucky with the fall of the side quests, and I will have my second promo point uh, for my lore master, and that'll be, I think, my fourth or fifth tune where I will have gotten the 200 promo points in big battles. <sighs> so I've been trying to run Vanguard with my LM, and it just seems, I've got to say, it just it seems really useless. <laughs> I know there are some quests where if you do it in raid mode and you get like a single opponent come out, you know, the only way to get them down and get them platinum is to have some a couple people at Vanguard that have maxed out their kill streaks. But I don't know. I just it's hard to get fully charged because stuff coming over the walls and stuff like uh, you know the Minas Tirith big battles die so quickly that you can barely get a hit in typically. <laughs> and uh, in the six and three mans, it doesn't seem like you need um, the Vanguard, you know, 
burst DPS in order to get a platinum. So it's only rare situations where it would become useful. And I just would rather be an engineer most of the time. So I don't know. I'll try it a few more times. I mean, why not? Um, unless, you know, I need engineer to score promo points and then blah, blah, blah. Like I said, two more big battles. I may not be running anymore with my LM anytime soon anyway. My Berg has uh, been polishing his LI still. He's basically done with one legacy item as far as Scrolls of Empowerment and Crystals now and has one more to go. Um, and again, soon all the tunes will need Scrolls and Crystals again. So I've see, definitely seen an uptick in Court of Sirigus runs from people getting ready for that. I've actually spent some time in my Hunter recently and got him up to well-preserved level 111. He is the sixth tune on my account to complete the epic books and destroy the ring. Uh, so he's been running around in the waste recently. Um, looking to max um, max out my reputation in the waste so I can spend a bunch of the war materials that I've been kind of funneling to him from all of my other tunes running FIs. Uh, see what he can get from some of the barter vendors there. Uh, he also opened up Mordor to Yudun to start handing in tasks for the plateau of gorgoroth and uh but i'm planning to keep questing in the waste to try to get kindred rep there right now he's he's finished up harander quest and he's in the slag hills he's been um you know i think being level 111 is helping a bunch or i would definitely be having some trouble soloing landscape stuff in the towers of the teeth and squarunk uh as you guys may remember those fondly uh as a hunter i think that would be tough on level solo but at one level 111 it's uh it's been uh fun running through there and just uh mowing down stuff which is great um so i should be running out of landscape quests there soon i just opened up the lang Ruven group quests i don't anticipate doing those even even at uh, level 115 i wouldn't bother trying to do those solo uh but hopefully that'll be enough to get me kindred in the wastes and i'll move him in truth on down to mordor my Bjorning is uh, level 108, and he's been getting some some hand-me-down jewelry from others that are you know getting stuff on runs that they can't use, including uh, Minas Tirith Pelennor Field stuff. So from running Throne of the Dread Terror and some other Minas, Tor Minas Tirith um, instances, I've gotten some barter items which I can use in the Pelennor Fields vendors inside uh, After Battle Minas Tirith. And I uh, used that to upgrade a bunch of uh, jewelry for my Bjorning at level 108. My champ is still poised in Endedwaith, waiting to get re-engaged. My RK is 57 and just hobby-horsing around in Moria at this point, waiting to run more instances. My Warden is level 40 and doing nothing. My High Elf Warden languishing at level 18 and doing nothing. And in other Tolkien news, The Fall of Gondolin should be coming out soon. That's two books in that series, Baron and Luthien and The Fall of Gondian. Uh, Fall of Gondolin, which I'm looking forward to and have not gotten to from a reading perspective, hopefully shortly. Haven't heard any news lately around the Middle-Earth-based uh, TV series, which should be coming sometime in the next year or two. We'll see if we start to hear some rumors about production on those things as we get into 2019. If that is enough about what I've been doing in-game. Let's move on to the Beacon of Aralas. Okay, folks, here we are at the fourth Beacon of Aralas. While we took a break, I did go in and run the Mushroom Hunt, and I believe I was the only dwarf on the field, which produced a run of 27 tokens for the amount of time that you spend there. A uh, couple minutes worth. Um, that is a good return on investment. 
I'll have to uh, go check out. Well, you know what? Let's take a look. Let's see how many tokens I got. Let's take a look at the street. Maybe we can do some some real-time acquisition here. Barter items. I am speaking with the festival announcer. Let me see. Decorative oven. Well, that's kind of cool. Okay. We need one more for that. Chicken coop. Tomb of the Big Goat Kid is apparently the latest and greatest. Tomb of the Harvest Revelry Kite. Don't need more kites, that's for sure. Um, Farmer's Feast Steed. Is that new as well as the goat? Or is that from last year? I don't remember that one. That's 80 tokens. Okay, so that one's still out of reach, but I am certain... I can get one more token to get the Tome of the Big Goat Kid at some point before the end of this podcast. So we'll have to, uh, what's the easiest way to pick up one token at the Farmer's Fair? Something simple. Probably fishing, right? Is there fishing at the Farmer's Fair? I don't remember. It's right in Barwater. I wouldn't be surprised. Let me take a poke down there. I can't recall. There's a number of dudes hanging out. There are a number of people fishing. Looks like they're fishing at the Farmer's Fair. All right, maybe we'll try that in a little bit. But for now, we're going to talk about an indie game called Braid uh, that came out in 2008. So I bought this on a Steam sale. I believe the price was $3.99. And uh, I believe I got my money's worth out of this purchase. So some of you, if you're wondering if you haven't played this game, why it sounds familiar, it was featured in the movie Indie Game that came out in 2012. Uh, that movie featured uh, kind of close-ups around the whole development, deployment, and kind of um, success of, or challenges faced by three specific games. One called Super Meat Boy, which came out in 2011. A game called Fez, which was still in final stages of production, I believe came out shortly thereafter, probably 2012-2013. And a game called Braid. I have never played Super Meat Boy, whose kind of claim to fame is old-fashioned, hard, hardcore, difficult, like you know, traditional, uh, you know, gameplay. Uh, because the whole hardcore, really hard, difficult thing never was something I was excited about. Um, so I haven't played that game. I did get Fez, and I played Fez for a little while. I think I still have it on Steam. And I ran out of steam with my interest in that game. One of the very few games I started but didn't finish. I thought the way the puzzles could be manipulated by uh, switching perspectives uh, to give it you know, a 2D game with 3D uh, puzzling capability was very interesting. Um, but maybe I didn't play it long enough to get hooked. I thought the gameplay was a little bit boring overall and I stopped playing it after uh, maybe getting through the first couple challenges. Um, Braid was well received by all when it first premiered, um, critics and users alike. One of the highest uh, ranking games on, I think it was PlayStation Arcade when it first premiered. But the developer thought it was misunderstood, and he tried uh, to correct perceptions regarding it uh, that were being written about in blogs and forums. And uh, you know his resistance and kind of his interference trying to direct perception of the game and people's people's uh, assumptions about it and interpretations of it 
um, turned him into something of a comical figure, according to Wiki Times. I was I was not first person visible to that, so I don't know exactly what his you know intercessions were, but um, apparently they didn't go well, and it was kind of turned sour on him a little bit. Um, you know, the whole theme of that movie indie game was that indie games you know differ uh, from mainstream games by offering flaws and vulnerabilities, making the games much more personal and how they're developed. And I definitely felt that as I, uh, played Braid. First of all, it's a 2D platform game, but, um, like none that you've probably ever played before, the mechanics were definitely very inventive and cool and different from anything I'd tried before. What attracted me, first of all, was from the trailer and from the screen prints, was the fantastic water, watercolor art form or style that uh, that the game has, uh, which makes it beautiful to look at. Uh, secondly, the music is enchanting. Very well done. And uh, really helps draw you in. Um, very atmospheric. Very uh, <coughs> playful and of high quality. <coughs> Overall, the game takes maybe, I'd say... I don't know, somewhere in the neighborhood of 6 to 10 hours of gameplay to finish, which is attractive to me as well, versus games that, you know, since most of my game time is sucked into Lotro, I like shorter-term games on the side every now and then, in between the ones that, uh, you know, take more of a commitment or investment. But in that 6 to 10 hours, it packs a lot into the gameplay. Um, I'm pretty sure that I only scratched the surface of the intent and themes put into the game with Easter eggs, subtle visual cues, etc. It's deep and it has a lot of layers. From a game mechanic perspective, what makes it different is that um, each different world that you go into where you're collecting puzzle pieces to put together a puzzle so you can kind of figure out what's going on with, this, with the narrative of the game. Um, each different world has a different mechanic. Uh, it starts out with the, the game's base mechanic, which is the ability to do time reversal. Uh, and to vary speed on time reversal. So if you get yourself into trouble and get killed, there's a key that you can press to back up the action uh, as far as you want, all the way back to the beginning of the level, or maybe only a couple seconds, or a couple minutes, anywhere in between. And you can vary the speed at which you're backing things up so that it goes super fast, or just you know basically at the speed of play. So every time you get into trouble or make a mistake, basically you can back up and try to correct it right away. And this allows for, you know, let's say I jump to the right and I land on something I didn't intend to, I can back up to right before the jump and retry the timing of it right away immediately without having, you know, without dying and having to start the level over from scratch. And what this allows for is some devilishly hard gameplay uh, that probably would have caused me to quit any other game, you know, failing and having to try it again and failing and starting over and failing and starting over. Because in this instance, you can reverse your mistake immediately. If you make a bad jump, I can try it 10 times in the space of 20 seconds until I get it right. I can just back up, try it again, back up, try it again, back up, try it again. So it makes those extremely difficult, you know, timing related or you know precision related acts in the game much more uh, palatable um, the second mechanic it introduces in the second world is the idea that um, when you back up gameplay there are certain objects that can have permanence so that, that are not impacted by your reversal of the time flow um, so there's the, the idea that some of the objects on the screen are impermanent and some of them are permanent in terms of their temporal status. 
so when you back up the gameplay, something you moved might stay where it was, or a certain platform that was rotating across the screen might not be impacted. So that allows you to interact with the environment by reversing yourself, but not some objects that are moving around you, and uh, allows you to get by certain puzzles that way. Um, in one of the following worlds, there's a mobile, mobile temporal field you can slam down, which basically slows objects movement within just that field. And then you can pick up that field and move it around to different areas of the game. So if there's a cannon firing at you way too fast for you to go through a tunnel, you can put this temporal field underneath it and it slows down the rate of fire to the point where you can jump in between the bullets and accomplish what you want to do, for example. And there's lots of different ways to apply that temporal field to slow down things, uh, to change their timing so that you can solve puzzles. And the last uh, mechanic I'll mention, I think there's one or two more, but the last mechanic I'll mention is one, something I'll call shadow mimicry which says that uh, when you back your character up from making a mistake, a shadow will be generated that will try to do the same thing that you just did before. Um, so let's say you move to the right, and then you back that up, and instead you decide to move left. Well, your shadow will move to the right like you did the first time, and will try to perform actions that you did and interact with the environment the same way that you did previously. So it allows you basically to spawn an, uh, you know, a second character to help you accomplish objectives on a screen that you would not be able to do alone. Uh, so very interesting and different um, uses. So how does this game transcend the genre of a 2D platformer? Well. First of all, it plays on the tropes of other games, especially Mario, you know, uh, the plumber trying to rescue the princess from the castle where the bad guy has kidnapped her. And it plays on those um, tropes very effectively, but it has much more adult themes to it. Um, so as you undo these puzzle pieces, you can figure out that this individual, the, the protagonist, has made mistakes in his life and uh, he's trying to undo those mistakes to recapture his love, right? So just like the game mechanic lets you undo mistakes, the overall theme of the game is how to undo mistakes to, um, to take back something that impacted your life and the lives of all around you, mistakes you've made. And from the puzzles, uh, you can interpret that they have to do with the fact that uh, maybe he was a heavy drinker or alcoholic and did something in an inebriated state which impacted the lives of those around him. Uh, but what that is is never 100% resolved, is open for interpretation. So the game mechanics, and each one that's introduced, amplifies the story's themes and the text and narration that goes on around it. Um, you know, he wishes that he could slow the impacts of time and the, you know, the, undo the things that he did around others. And, and that's exactly what you're doing on the individual screens to try to solve it. So it's got multiple layers that way. And the, the ending or meaning of the game is also in, open to interpretation uh, in an interesting and different way. Uh, you think you're the protagonist, but you may find out at the end that actually all along you've been the antagonist and you just didn't know it. So it's got some really interesting puzzles that were very satisfying to solve when I got them. A few of the puzzles I felt had unfair mechanics, uh, again, so... For example, you're trying to solve something for a very long time only to find out from a guide that if you miss an event upon entry into the level, but that it becomes unsolvable. And the only way to solve it is to re-enter the level and do something like immediately in the first 10 seconds that impacts everything happening on the screen. 
And so that was a little bit disappointing. I was like banging my head against the wall trying to figure out what I could do to get around a puzzle. And the only way to solve it was to leave the level and re-enter it and uh, do something like immediately to put down a field that would change the way some some platforms moved. Um, and if you didn't hit that initial window, you never would be able to solve the level. So th those things were a bit annoying. Uh, but overall... You know, I would say the majority of the puzzles I was able to figure out, and when you do, it's very satisfying. Um, the ones I banged my head against the wall for a little bit, I would get a hint from a guide and just be able to play through those. After that, I was able to finish the game and uh, was very different and rewarding um, experience. So the, the game developer's name is Jonathan Blow, and uh, his next game, The Witness, came out in 2016 also to critical acclaim it's actually been on my steam watch list for some time now even before i knew it was related to braid so that makes me even more eager to give that game a try at some point uh, just been waiting for the right sale to come along and the right availability to play it and if i do get to it i'll let you know how it is but if you haven't tried braid and anything that i described sounds attractive to you you might want to give it a shot uh, you know, at the end of the day, I love playing games like Tomb Raider or Shadow of Mordor, Assassin's Creed, or Drake's, you know, uh, Drake's Uncharted. But you know, these indie games drive the industry forward with fresh new ideas and some fresh perspectives that you can't get out of a majority AAA title, uh, the majority of AAA titles, or maybe even all of the AAA titles, because uh, they're not necessarily willing to take those kinds of risks with that kind of investment. So I think it's an important part of the industry that I uh, hope to continue to see flourish in the years ahead. All right, let's move on to the next beacon of Minrimon. The original weekly sponsor segment. Uh, recent beacon articles asked if you could have dinner with one Lotro NPC, who would it be and why? I think the more important question is where. The hottest spot in Casa Doom is... Shea Fields. Phil Gashin's diner has been replaced by Shea Fills, featuring the absolute latest in Moria hot cuisine. Now available, a special table in the kitchen at Phil's hosted by Chef Vrars. You get to watch, sample, and help prepare these wonderful high-end gourmet dishes as they are prepared right in front of your eyes uh, at the featured table. Chef Vrars will prepare your entrees any way that you like, as long as you like them pan-seared. Let him ask you if you have tried the special. His minced meat pies are to die for, so to speak. Yuck, yuck, yuck. Remember at Shea Phil's, if you can't handle the heat, get out of my kitchen. Remember to reserve your table well ahead as the third age is fully booked. No refunds for regurgitation. That brings us to the sixth beacon of Kalanhad. All right, so we're back. Listen, um, in case you were thinking about getting the big kid <laughs> bartered from the farmer's fair, just a FYI, it's not a mount. <laughs> it's yet another pet. And actually, I don't like the pet at all. It looks like a demon, little baby demon goat. I'm, look at its dead eyes, man. I do not want that thing staring at me. I think uh, I named him, since his name is the, he's the kid, I, I call him kidding me. you got to be kidding me. Uh, but uh, if you're looking for a mount, <laughs> a new goat mount, this isn't it. So don't waste your tokens. <laughs> All right, so let's talk a little bit about Up to 8.23 and the recent news that's come out about it. 
my information may be a little bit of date. I don't watch court out of date. I don't watch court events streams. I know occasionally he'll throw some nuggets our way based on that stuff. But here are the last release notes I saw and my take. So update 23 features a journey into the homelands and histories of the dwarves. Woohoo! Including the Longbeard descendants of Durin the Deathless. Beginning with an expanded Erebor. Okay, so first of all, for you wonderful viewers who have been with me recently, you may remember that one of the things I was complaining about was that they did not expand Erebor from the Allegiance Tall layout of the Great Hall. And uh, I, I wasn't expecting Moria, but I was really hoping for more depth. And apparently we're getting as part of this release. I've seen um, some snippets that showed pictures of mines. I've seen some uh, pictures that showed uh, some theaters, I believe, and maybe some living areas. So I'm excited to see an expanded Erebor. Very happy that more is going into uh, one of the great uh, dwarven strongholds uh, left in Middle-earth. We will adventure into the fabled Iron Hills and finally arrive in the lost dwarf kingdoms of the Grey Mountains. New quest area adventure features more than 100 quests and deeds. That sounds pretty standard to me. And three resource instances that allow for groups of three with daily and weekly rewards. So, um, I think that's positive. I like the fact that you can do them solo or with groups of three. Uh, daily and weekly reward sounds good. It sounds like you will get more than just picking up ore or wood or uh, scholar items or whatever the case may be. Um, so that's positive. I'm trying to think back of resource instances that were run frequently based on rewards that you were getting. Uh, dating back to Rohan. You know, dailies are more common than resource instances that are in demand. But again, if they, they put the right materials in there, maybe a crafting material can drop that, you know, would help you with a rare recipe or something like that. Hopefully they'll be fun. Uh, with solo versions, additionally, there are two new instances for up to, up to three players and one new instance for up to six players with solo versions available as well instances that solo people can run that are not uh that are not skirmishes this is a positive development for people that like to play solo or for people that are on late night when there's not a lot of grouping going on so i think that's exciting as well additionally a new raid will be available in a future update to update 23 another dragon raid maybe huh these new instances will soon playable up to tier three so tier two challenges out the window there's no such thing anymore it's just tier one tier two and tier three which i think will uh, resolve some ambiguity there some confusion amongst uh you know less experienced players um i heard that tier two was too easy on the latest build there were some complaints so we'll see they might need still need some some uh some tweaking that's going on there uh, tier 3 difficulty is expected to unlock several weeks after the release of update 23. So people can get practice running tiers 2, 1, and 2, getting their levels up. Though I'm sure to do tier 3, you're going to need to be level 120 with upgraded LIs and uh, new trade points and so forth. So uh, it makes sense that they didn't really need to have them at release. Uh, as part of update 23, there will be a Hobbit avatar update. Um... They have work in progress available for a preview now, and there's further work that needs to be done, including new hairstyles, among other things. So I'm all for new avatar updates uh, being available in the game. I'm going to 
temper my expectations based on the ones that I've seen to date. Some cases I've liked them a little better. Some cases I'm, I'm not. They're not that dramatic a difference that it's like game-changing type stuff. But it's always nice to have a fresher look and maybe a change of pace after years of the same character models. So um, should be positive and we'll wait and see. Uh, increased level cap to 120. I don't think they needed to do this, but they're doing it. So um, get ready for the new gear grind. Woohoo! And changes have been made to the way ratings are calculated throughout the game to provide a more even gameplay experience throughout leveling and to make gearing at endgame more compelling. So I actually think this is the hardest uh, change to understand, but perhaps the most impactful. I'm sort of excited by this and hoping it, plans, it plays out the way they're talking about it. Uh, first major change noted is Mastery had its cap decrease from 400% to 200% and is now subject to some degree of reducing returns. Uh, changes retroactive to all levels and equipment which makes it easier to achieve moderate mastery levels, but harder to maximize them. So basically what they're saying is, um, I think it places a higher premium on skills other than just stacking mastery, which is a boring way to build your character. So hopefully it will reward diversity in stats in other ways. And um, I like the fact that it makes it easier to achieve moderate mastery so that people aren't feel like they're being left behind. Uh, but more work will be taken to you know, truly separate yourself from the group. So uh, those are positive changes from my perspective, although obviously it may require some to redo their builds, uh, which is, you know, if you're not redoing your build, then what are you doing? Stagnating, right? Uh, monster health has been adjusted to be lower at endgame to adjust for this change in mastery. Um, in particular, non-DPS builds will see a faster average time to defeat enemies at higher levels, and higher-end DPS builds may find they now have room in their gear layout for mitigations or other stats at relatively little cost to the overall DPS. So again, that second piece is the diversity that I was talking about. Maybe you can get more resistance, maybe you can get more finesse, maybe you can get more crit defense, whatever the case may be, uh, without, you know, not without ruling yourself out of a tier two raid because your DPS isn't quite as good as the next guy who just purely stacked mastery and did nothing else. Uh, so, you know, it rewards um, a little bit of uh, diversity and a little bit of um, creativity, I believe. Uh, and of course, uh, when two of my main tunes being a guard and a captain, I am very excited that non-BPS builds will see an average time to def a faster average time to defeat enemies to higher levels, so that when I'm sitting there with my cappy whacking on a guy for 30 to 40 seconds, I can't I don't have to watch a hunter running by and not even breaking stride as he takes out a guy with one arrow. So I think those are good changes, and um, the way they talked about it, you know, the way they're it sounds like it'll make it easier for them to maintain and get good graded gear throughout the curve of leveling. Uh, so if they're spending less time tweaking that and managing it, uh, hopefully they have more time for content development. So I'm excited about that change overall. They also saw rating caps no longer change from level to level are now consistent throughout your character's leveling experience. So I'm not exactly sure what that means unless it's talking about specifically about percentages versus a target number that you're trying to heat, hit. But maybe they're scaling the number 
maybe 100 at level 50 is, is, is your goal, but 100 at level 100 is also your goal, and 100 just means something different as you level. So we're going to have to wait and see how this plans out. Uh, I want to get on Bulwar and see how my character stats are impacted and what that does to gameplay. There follows a whole bunch of different changes to the Warden skills. So the Warden's got the pass that they were looking for. And, uh, you know, I'd like to say it looks like a bunch of Warden improvements, but it sounds like mostly fixes to me of stuff that wasn't working, uh, but now hopefully will be. I will say that I've seen people saying that Redline and Wardens is supposed to compete now with Hunters for DPS, which is handy if they want to get invited to groups since they still can't tank as far as I can tell. Um, or at least not in demand for tier 2 raid tanks at this point. Uh, unless the healing buffs that are mentioned below in the list of warden skills help. So I'm not going to go through the warden skills because I'm not a warden aficionado with my guy sitting on level 40. But it looks like hopefully a lot of things have been fixed that will make them more effective and hopefully more in demand. There is a new iron fold tier of crafting available. Tier 12 includes new gear, class items, and a new tier of musical instruments. And from what I've heard, they have made crafting uh, relevant once again, um, including crafted potions, which are supposedly significantly more powerful. And hopefully crafting of essences as well is as viable, if not more so, than just paying for them with ash from loot boxes. Um... New musical instrument bassoons are now available. Huzzah! Uh, excited to see them continue to add to the retinue of musical instruments available in the game. And uh, bassoon is definitely a cool one. I'm, I can't wait. They're giving it to all players, so I can't wait to see what a bassoon sounds like in game and how it will impact some of the music that's being composed in the RPG community. Uh, more chairs are now available, I'm skipping around a bit here, but more chairs are now usable with the sit emote, including chairs in Dole Guldor, Dunland, Gondor, Isengard, Rohan, so it sounds like it's a whole scale change all over the place, and I just noticed fairly recently, um, you know, for example, when you go to join the feast with King Thorin in Erebor, and you sit, sit next to the chair, it actually has you sit on the chair as opposed to kind of on the floor next to it or floating above it. And uh, that's a cool modification that they've made to allow you to do that. Much more, obviously, uh, immersive for RP. Uh, the imbued legendary item level cap has been increased. There are now five additional levels for legacies, two of which can be unlocked and three of which are granted for free. Will be another small increase alongside the release of the raid. So, um, you know, as expected, tiers on weapons will continue to evolve. And hopefully for skills, you know... The only thing I'm afraid of as this continues to evolve is that they make certain skills that you have legacies for way more overpowered versus other skills on your bar and kind of skews your rotation to only hitting the skills maybe that you have the legacies for. So the way that I've seen them combating that is by capping out the buff to a certain skill at one level and then adding like a second buff on that legacy that you increase as you continue to tier it uh, maybe for a different skill. So they're kind of spreading it around a little bit. And hopefully that will continue to address that concern. Let me see. Quest and Adventure Area. A new featured instance rotation has been set up, including Domo Star, Silent Street, Quays of Harlan, Blood of the Black Serpent, School of Thamardane, Hellograd Spiderwing, uh, including new featured challenge objectives for players at cap level. So I think this is good. I like the changes. Uh, some of these instances, like Domo Stars and Silent Street, I consider a bit more advanced, uh, maybe tougher to pug. 
but the more they run as FIs, the more people will understand how to do them. Uh, I'd be really surprised to see tons of people running Silent Street, though, especially on Tier 2 when it comes out. We'll see. Maybe it'll be easier uh, now that we're leveled, but uh, you know, might not be as nearly as run as uh, much as something like School of Thammerdain that you can slam through in five minutes. Quite a big difference there from a silent street run, which used to take at least an hour and a half, hour to an hour and a half. Um, let me see. Misty Mountain Stable Master have decided to rent sturdy goats instead of horses. Cool. Why not? Uh, let me see. Two new trait points are now available. One awarded when players reach 20, and a second awarded upon completion of the Black Book of Mordor, Chapter 8.7, The First Promise. Uh, new trait points. Cool. Uh, we should continue to receive those as we grow. Hopefully they've allowed room for us to scale them. Players can outsort their characters from the character selection screen by a number of different uh, parameters, including last login. That one is the one I think is kind of cool. Um, you can show the characters that you've played more recently and the ones that have been neglected more easily to remind you maybe to spend some time on them. And uh, you can now show six characters instead of five. And since I have, I think, oh, how many... One per each type of character available in the game. I can now show them all on two screens instead of three, which uh, is exciting. Let me see what else. Useless, 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 not important, not important, not important. Miscellaneous human female heads have been getting some changes. Whew, me too. Uh, too soon? Maybe. Let's keep going. Isengard Tavern. Tier 2 difficulty is now available for the update 23 inches. Give it a try and let us know how you find the challenge. And also, gear from loot boxes in update 23 have been adjusted. The higher base level you can drop now is item level 370, incomparable gear. Crafted potions have their powers significantly increased. Good to see that those will be more relevant again going forward. Uh, and... A destroy all button has been added to the pending loot panel with a confirmation dialogue. Sure, why not? Sounds good. Um, although I usually end up looting all and then selling all. Uh, especially after I've filtered out all the legendary items that I would get that I wouldn't need. But those might be convenient if you've got a bunch of like remote questing items that you've generated or whatever the case may be. So those are the primary updates coming out of update 23 i'm excited for it again i have to guess it's maybe two to three weeks away so keep polishing those li's folks get out there and run those featured instances finish off those northern kingdom quests and me it's time for halifurian we've run out of time to squander it's time for blessed relief i'm officially putting a sock in it for the 87th episode of light the beacons I would love to hear your feedback, rants, diatribes, and plaudits, and most of all, your constructive critique. You can contact me at bragsonofbalan at gmail.com. That's Bragg with two A's. The second A stands for Argon Detector. Facebook or Twitter at Bragsonofbalan. Or my website, lightthebeacons.com, where you can post comments directly on the podcast and look at the pretty pictures. I kindly request you to take time to create an iTunes review like Bounder Doble did back in May. If perchance you were so inclined, I would very much appreciate it. Hey, if a Bounder has time for it, maybe you do too. And if your comments incite me to forsake my legendary elven antipathy, I will try to include them in the next podcast, or at least respond in some way. So, 
I hope you laughed either at or with me. I hope you might have learned at least a little something you didn't know before, or perhaps looked at the game with a slightly different perspective. And most of all, I hope you enjoy your week in Middle-earth. This is Bragg, the son of Balin, signing off. Baruch Kazad. And remember, the next time you try to ride your war steed through Lake Town without wearing a bathing suit, don't despair. Light the beacons. <laughs>